Now, the other day I was on Facebook and I saw one of my friends who's a personal trainer have a post that had probably 50 to 60 comments of people on different sides about exercise being a form of therapy. Now, somewhere in the middle, they think therapy or mental health practitioners are important, but they use exercise as a way to mitigate their stress or anxiety, while some completely denounce therapy and other mental health practices and said exercise is all they need. Now, I'm not here to pick a side or choose which one, but I thought this was a great opportunity to talk about how exercise can be used as a form of therapy or intervention and the different mechanisms that go along with exercise in different ways to use exercise to help with mental health and wellness, because we already know that it's important for our physical health. America, about 60 to 70 percent of our population is overweight or obese. And in current years, more people are obese than overweight out of that 60 to 70 percent. What this means is that their weight is at a point where it can cause serious medical or health issues. Now, I want to talk about a few different points such as exercise and physical activity. What does that mean? They're two different things and we need to understand both and how they impact our everyday life. I also want to talk about how stress is exercise. I've spoken on stress before as a whole. And we're going to talk about how that impacts us and how to use it to grow and adapt and become stronger physically and mentally. We also want to know different types of phases that affect how we progress in exercise because it's not so cut and dry. A lot of people talk about getting in shape and there's a lot more to it. And we also want to discuss how it can affect our mental health in different ways to apply that from the ways to train, the different social concepts, and even anxiety and depression. So all in all, we want to understand the importance of exercise, how it's relevant to mental and brain health, and how we can utilize it to get our mind right. Now let's get into it. Now, oftentimes I see people say, I'm going to go work out, I'm going to go train, exercise, whatever it may be. And this is great. Like I mentioned, 60 to 70% of our population is overweight or obese in America. So any type of movement is great and is needed. We need about two hours a week just to be on the safe side. But depending on your goals or what you're trying to accomplish, that may not be enough. So it's not just even a matter of how much you're doing, but what kind of training are you trying to accomplish? Now, the argument of exercise versus physical activity. Physical activity is simply anything that causes your body to move. So if you go cut your grass, if you go to the club and dance, if you check the mail, walk the dog, these are all forms of physical activity because it requires some type of movement. Now, the difference with this and exercise is exercise is intentional. It's structured. It's repetitive. It's more intense. Now, if we use the same example of, say, dancing at the club versus dancing in a Zumba class. Dancing at the club, you might hear a song that you like, the beat catches your attention, and you start feeling the beat and go with it and just groove it on the dance floor with your friends having a great time. That's physical activity because it's causing you to move, your heart rate is going to increase, your body is moving to the beat, and everything is going from a physical standpoint. But the difference is with a Zumba class, it's intentional. You're going there for specific routines. The instructor that you follow tells you what movements to do. It's repetitive for the most part. You're not just going to do it one time. If you're at the club, you're going to dance to one song. You might sit down, relax, and then go back to it. With Zumba, it's an intentional pace. The instructor tells you to get more intense or less intense. It's for a set duration, usually 30 minutes to an hour. And the intensity is much higher because you're going at a more rapid pace. Not saying that dancing at the club, just doing general physical activity can't be intense. But this Zumba class is going to have way more intensity and structure to it. Now, these are the, the subtle differences. 
Because if I go to a gym in general, we can talk about just training versus working out. If I'm doing a workout, that means I'm going to the gym or the fitness center and I'm doing some exercises, some curls or some squats or maybe run on the treadmill or a little bit of everything and do a circuit. Now, that's a workout. We're getting the intensity we need for exercise. We're getting the structure. We're getting the repetition because if you do something one time, your body's not going to adapt. And we'll talk more about that. But basically, with training, there's a more long-term goal in mind. It's usually four weeks to 12 weeks to even a year. And it's building up to a specific time, a specific goal, a specific strength amount or body weight, whatever it may be. And you're building up to it week to week, day to day. Each day is programmed in a certain way to achieve this goal. So you can see just from exercise to physical activity, from training to working out, there's differences. And knowing these things and being more mindful will help you a lot from just getting into exercise. Now, if we're going off of the same note of what type of training, workouts, exercise do, we need to understand what type of physical activities or exercises that are even out there. Now, usually when I hear someone say, I want to get in shape, they're very vague about that specificity is important. And I notice usually when someone says get in shape, one of the first things they try to do is go for a run. Now, I get why running is so uh, popular for when it comes to working out because you don't really need too much. All you really need is your feet and legs. You can say shoes even, but barefoot running is definitely a thing. But this is something people go to to maybe run a few miles or for about 45 minutes at a slow pace because it's accessible. Cardio, if you go to a gym or a fitness center, most of them are overwhelmed with cardio machines as opposed to strength machines. Now, this goes to the point of what are you trying to accomplish? Now, if I said you want to get in shape, once again, what does that mean? Now, if I say that to a swimmer, getting in shape means swimming dozens of laps back and forth across the pool. If I say that to an Olympic caliber sprinter, that means running at high intensity, short duration sprints over and over again over time. Now, if I say a woman who just had a baby, she's trying to get back in shape, for her, in shape could mean you just want to lose some belly fat. See how that means different things from different people. But for the most part, I think in the general consensus of people, they want to look good naked. And I'm using that very loosely. It can mean a lot of different things. But typically when I say that, I mean they want to lose body fat and get more tone, which means more muscle. Now, when you do something such as running, this may be going against what you think in shape is because when you run, it involves different energy systems. Now, we don't talk about energy systems too much when it comes to training, but let's briefly go over that. Now, we got the anaerobic, the aerobic, and the phosphocreatine energy system. Now, the phosphocreatine energy system is something that's about 10 seconds in duration. It's quick burst and explosion. We think about something like plyometrics, something that requires you to lift the weight very rapidly like Olympic lifting. This is this system. It doesn't last too long. And the point of each energy system is replenish something called ATP. Now, ATP stands for adenosine triphosphate. So we won't get too deep into the science of what ATP is, but just understand it's the body's currency. It's the form of molecular energy that is utilized to run your cells. So in this case of exercise, once you get fatigued or tired, more ATP needs to be generated. So with the phosphocreatine energy system, it's not giving you too much ATP. So what happens is it has to transfer over to something called the anaerobic. So this is about up to two minutes of duration. It's still powerful. It can still be explosive, but you're not getting as much intensity as you would from the phosphocreatine. Now, once that takes over and it gets beyond two minutes, you're going into the aerobic. So with the aerobic energy system, when we think of cardio, this is typically what we're talking about. It utilizes fat 
as a primary way to replenish ATP. The other two use glucose or glycogen, which is sugar. Glucose is sugar in the bloodstream, while glycogen is in the stored muscles. The reason I want to talk about these things is because you need to understand what's occurring in the body when people talk about they're tired, they're fatigued, uh, there's fast cardio. All these play a role, and understanding this will help you make a choice of what type of exercise activity you want to choose. Now, getting back to the point of specificity, knowing all that now, think about what do you want to do? Because if you think about going back to the runners, running miles on end or 45, an hour, two hours on a treadmill, even if at a slow pace, is using the aerobic energy system. Now, like I said, this involves using fat to refuel that ATP. But over time, your body starts thinking, hey, we're using this fat and fat is a great form of energy. Now, it's about nine calories opposed to four calories for protein and carbohydrates. So your body thinks, why don't we save this fat? And this is an evolutionary adaptation. We talk about stress and fight or flight in the other videos. This is why, because your body needs to keep going. So it says, let's hold on to the fat and start breaking down the uh, muscle tissue for protein. And this is not good because when you think about long duration cardio, eventually, depending on how energized and fueled you are, this will start happening depending on how long you do it and how intense the exercise is. And this is detrimental because going back to I want to get in shape when people want those toned tight bodies that may look like their favorite celebrities, this is not what you're going to look like. You're going to look more like a marathon runner. These people tend to have little muscle tone. and They retain fat in certain areas such as their stomach. So it's not the ideal body, but for a performance standpoint, if they can run a marathon in about two hours, that's great because this is what they're trying to do from a performance standpoint. But most people who want to exercise, they typically, they're trying to get in a physical aesthetic shape. So think about what you want to do when it comes to cardiorespiratory, because this involves doing things long in duration, usually moderate to low intensity, because you can't sustain a high intensity for a long time, as we mentioned, because you need more ATP to keep going. So in order to sacrifice your intensity and speed or duration, you have to go down in the intensity if you want to go up in duration. Now, when it comes to building strength or muscle, there's muscle strength and muscle endurance. Now, when it comes to building muscle, we typically think about like a bodybuilder or an athlete. But beyond that, this is important because having strength allows us to generate force and overcome resistance to our body. In turn, this builds up muscle mass, something called hypertrophy. That means the growth of muscle size. Now, something called power is how much force we can generate in a short amount of time. These are more so from doing workouts that involve resistance training, lifting weights, plyometrics. Now, muscle endurance is how long can we generate force over a prolonged amount of time? This is just as important because, yes, you can be strong and lift heavy, but can you persistently and consistently continue to generate this force? Now, this is not just for working out and exercise or sport, but think about moving furniture, working a laborer's job, because our body needs to keep going. So training these different facets are very important and relevant. Now, body composition, that's probably one of the biggest factors for people train for aesthetics. Like I mentioned, people want to look good when they're clothes off. We want to look in the mirror and be happy. And this can lead to other things with confidence. We will discuss that. Now, when this comes to body composition, this refers to calorie expenditure and calorie intake. Now, this difference between calorie expenditure and calorie intake will make the difference because depending on that balance, if you have more calories going in than going out, you would gain weight and vice versa. If you're more going out than going in, you will lose weight. So obviously, understanding that will help you lose the weight. But when you talk about compositions, it's just not about how much mass you have, but how does that mass look on your body? How much muscle tone do you have? How much body fat do you have? Now, this is going to be relevant to how you train. Someone who only does cardio can burn calories. But like I mentioned, depending on how much you do, depending on how long you do and how intense, 
may not always be relevant to how your body will look. That's why you have to have some kind of resistance training. This is why I always tell people that they need to have a variety in their workouts. If you're only doing cardio, it's not going to be as beneficial. Yes, your heart health can improve depending if you stay in a safe range, but will you aesthetically look how you want to look? Because strength training builds muscle. When people say they want that tight tone look, that comes from building muscle mass. On the other side, if you do nothing but cardio, granted, you can build muscle and still be healthy because you can use strength training as a form of cardio depending on the rep range and whatnot. But if you're not doing enough cardiovascular training, your heart health won't be as good as it should be. Now, one last form of exercise you can take into consideration is skill-based or neuromuscular training. These are things that require balance, coordination, agility, speed, or sport-specific skills. You can think about playing tennis, basketball, soccer. The beauty of these is you can get other exercise components through them. Like, for example, if you play a game of basketball, it's a lot of jumping, so you get to be anaerobic and explosive, but also it has endurance components because you're going back and forth up the court continuously. Also has specific skills with ball handling and dribbling, so that's hand-eye coordination, shooting. So this is one example of how doing these type of skills. And it's also great for the brain because they're not as stationary or one-dimensional. So this is just something to consider. So now we understand some of the different exercise modalities that we may want to subscribe to, but how do we progress and get better? With progressive overload, we look at things such as the FIT principle. That's frequency, intensity, time, and type. Now, frequency means how much, intensity means how hard, time means how long, and type means what kind. Now, when we talk about frequency, how many days a week are you going to train? How many hours, minutes, sets, reps are you going to do during a session? These are something to take into account because how much we do it changes how our body adapts. You can't just do one set and go home. You have to do repetitious sets. This is why it's called exercise. And if you're training, this could be mapped over several weeks or so. Now, intensity refers to how hard if you're doing resistance training. This is the percentage of max weight you're doing. Like if you do a squat and your max is 300 pounds, you might do 50% of that, which is 150 pounds. That's how hard you're training. Now, if you're doing cardiovascular, this could be your pace. For example, if you're on a treadmill and you're doing seven miles per hour or you're doing six minute mile pace, this is something to consider because it's telling you how hard your body is going to adapt to what it's being presented to. Now, as this goes up, it's going to affect time, which is the duration of how long. When things typically go up in intensity, they go down in time. They go up in time, they go down in intensity. This trade-off happens because, like I mentioned, with the energy systems, you can only sustain so much power, so much speed, so much force for a certain amount of time based on how much ATP is expended. Now, as you need more energy, the time goes longer. Your body needs to go to a lower level so it can replenish it, but you still can keep going. It's a trade-off. So just to recap, intensity goes up, time and duration goes down, time and duration goes up, intensity goes down. So remember this inverse relationship. Now, the last one type. This goes back to what kind. So this could start with just what type of exercise, aerobic, anaerobic, strength training, muscle endurance, muscle strength, flexibility. But even beyond that, let's say you do choose strength training. What type of strength training are you doing? Is it more for your upper body, lower body, posterior chain, anterior chain? So knowing which type of exercise is going to play a role too. Now, all this goes together, the FIT principle, F-I-T-T, so it can add up to your volume. Volume is important because we look at this from this mindset, we can understand how our body is being taxed and how to either improve it, make it more or lessen if it's too much. If you think about volume of a shape, length time, width times height, you add those all up, you get a number. It's the same thing. So let's say it's for resistance training. If you do sets and reps, three sets, 10 reps, that's 30 
repetitions total you would do. If you did them at 100 pounds, then that's 30 times 100. That means you did 3,000 pounds of volume. This is important because we look at our day-to-day, week-to-week training programs. We know how much we have put stress on our body. Because remember, stress is any change of homeostasis. So when we talk about with fitness or working out, we need to know how many times we have taxed that. And we can actually measure this. So if you know you did 40,000 pounds of volume, if you want to increase that, you need to go to 45,000. And this has changed, remember, from how much frequency, how many reps, sets, days even, and how much time and duration you put on your body, as well as intensity as far as weight or even pace. So if we look at that as a whole, we know exactly what we need to do to get better. A lot of people reach plateaus and they wonder in their head, why am I not getting better? And you, you trick yourself thinking that I'm working hard and you probably are. But the body needs change to adapt. So remember we talk about gas, general adaptation syndrome. We talk about the alarm stage. That's the first exposure to said stimulus. So this is how much weight or the pace you're doing. But then over time, the resistance phase means it gets used to it. That doesn't affect you as much anymore. Remember, when we work out, these micro tears are happening. That means your body is going through actual cell damage to the muscle. Or if it's for cardiorespiratory, it's actually putting taxation on the heart. So when you think about this, we need time to recover. So when we do this exercise, we actually build muscle or get better outside of the gym because now we're resting and recovering. That's very important too. So now that we look at how exercise actually is composed in different ways, how our body generates energy, what is it good for, what we need to do and different ways to do it, and how it can even add up and accumulate ways to improve our actual fitness, why is it good for our brain? Why is it good for our mental health? Like I saw on that Facebook post, everyone was going back and forth, and I generally do agree that it can be used as an intervention. I don't think you should pick and choose. There's different things for different people, but it definitely can help. Now, one of the biggest things people think about with exercise is the stress relief. I see it all the time. And why is it a stress relief? So going back to what I said, stress is any change of homeostasis or balance. Now, in this case, it's physical stress. You're actually loading the bones, the skeletons with weight, the muscles. They go under duress. You physically feel that weight. You go up, you go down. It gets weaker by breaking down the muscle fibers, micro tears, and they get stronger after you build back up and you do it again. You repeat it. This is literally the general adaptation syndrome at work. So it's actual physical stress. But the beauty is when we think about stress from a psychological standpoint, there's a lot of carryovers, stress, anxiety, worry. When we go through the fight or flight response, what happens? Heart rate increases, respiratory rate increases, blood pressure gets more intense. Your muscles constrict, get ready for action. That same thing happens when you exercise. But the beauty is with exercise, gives a positive connotation to the stress response, meaning you are now associating a positive benefit of getting in shape, looking the way you want, overcoming an obstacle or challenge with the same symptoms that come from the stress response that typically comes with worry, fear, anxiety, pressure, stress. And this is why exercise in general is good for mental health. But then there's other aspects we could talk about. One of the biggest ones is runner's high. I hear this all the time. Is runner high real? Is it just something we made up? And yes, it is real, but maybe not for the reasons you think. Now, a lot of times people talk about runner's high. They talk about endorphins. Now, endorphins are endogenous morphine. Now, morphine, you think about it, is a pain reliever. We see it in hospital being used with people who are sick or hurt. Now, your body produces its own morphine. That's what endogenous means, produced by itself. And that's why endorphins, you put those words together, it makes the word endorphins. So endogenous morphine. Now, 
Endorphins are released during the stress response, which will happen while you're working out. And the goal of endorphins is to flood through your bloodstream to cause the pain relief so you can keep going. Because we went back to ancient times when we're in a fight or flight situation, being physically stressed and fatigued, stopping you would not be good for your chance of survival. So this endorphin response actually helps you keep going until you're away from the threat and it can subside and activate the parasympathetic nervous system and calm everything down. So the thing with endorphins is they don't travel well between the blood-brain barrier. So why it's secreted through your bloodstream, it's not going to your head. So it's actually causing pain relief for your body, your peripheral nervous system, so you can keep going. But as far as the brain, it's not doing anything there. But what's really happening is there's something called endocannabinoids. Now, you hear the word cannabinoid, you think cannabis, right? That's exactly where it comes from. We're actually wired with receptors for cannabis. That's why they're called endocannabinoids. Now, this is what's seen to cause that euphoric feeling because just like with marijuana usage or cannabis usage, you see that your body may deal with stress better, reduce anxiety, things of that nature. This is what's happening. So think endocannabinoids, not endorphins for that runner's high feeling. And this is what happens when you train for prolonged amounts of time, especially when you go for a run or do some kind of aerobic or cardiovascular exercise. So you just came back from your run. You're feeling good because those endocannabinoids, right? But what else can exercise do for your mental health and brain? Like a lot of people say, this is my stress relief. This is what makes me feel good after a long day. But what else is going on? We talk about something called BDNF or brain-derived neurotropic factor. Now, BDNF is a neurochemical that is secreted through your bloodstream during exercise. So over prolonged physical activity and exercise, about 30 to 45 minutes at a roughly 60% intensity of max heart rate, you will see this occur. Now, what BDNF does, it helps protect your neurons. So these brain cells that fire to communicate with each other to carry out different tasks, such as reading, learning, brushing your teeth, kicking a soccer ball, whatever it may be, it helps protect them. But also, it's been shown that something called neurogenesis occurs. This is the growth of new neurons. It's typically thought that neurons, once damaged, once gone, you couldn't get them back. But we have seen that this actually acts as a growth for the neurons. So BDNF is a very important neurochemical, but there's more to it than that. So obviously, having more neurons is important because the more neurons, the more your brain can communicate. But you need to be able to keep them strong. So you need to do something that requires thinking, cognition. So it's typically recommended after you do exercise to do something that requires some type of cognition, such as reading a book, learning a new skill, a language, watching something educational, because now those neurons can be applied because the Hebbian theory says neurons that fire together, wire together. So you need to use them. So it's not just about getting active to help this BDNF chemical flood through your bloodstream to help the brain, but it's also about applying them. This is kind of why Mind Body One, what we do is so important. And this is actually the research that led me to create Mind Body One. Crazy, right? So, thinking about this from the minute level, you don't have to do necessarily what we do with our training. It's important to keep your mind active. Now, what is the correlation with this when it comes to different mental health issues? Now, depression, anxiety, we all suffer from some sort, and it's on a spectrum. Now, we're not talking about clinical depression, but it's still good for that too. Now, we're talking about acute, more day-to-day stress or anxiety or worries or depression. Now, when we talk about depression, there's different things such as rumination, thinking about thoughts that aren't beneficial or less productive or negative, thinking about not wanting to move, get out and be social. All these things are happening. And we talk about that BDNF and new brain cells and causing your brain to be able to activate better. How can that help you? Now, if you suffer from any of these issues, you can see how this can correlate because 
it breaks down the brain cells. People with depression or symptoms of depression tend to see a decline in cognitive function. The same thing with anxiety, because when you're worrying, the brain can't function as well as it needs to be because now the fight or flight response is being triggered and you're going different ways of processing and taking information. You can miss out on things or do things incorrectly. Now, by doing this exercise and causing the brain to become stronger through this neuroprotectant and being more cognitively active, you're allowing your brain to be rebuilt in a physiological manner. A lot of times we think about therapy or psychology, we think simply about maybe CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, which more so talking things out, thinking about different ways to restructure your way of life, your philosophies in your head. That's important too, and it can be helpful. But when we're talking about the physical response, actual neurotransmitters being fired based on what you're doing physically, this can do so much for you. So looking at how physical activity is good for your body, getting in shape, we can see also it's good for your brain from the structural standpoint, but also maybe even from a confidence boost, because a lot of people get happy when they're doing something they enjoy. If you become more into working out and exercise, it becomes a part of your day-to-day -day life. And now it's something that you can be more acclimated to in a positive reinforcement. Just like I mentioned, it's getting the stress response activated, but acclimating to a positive reinforcement. That's why exercise is great for the brain, for mental health. So we looked at how exercise can be utilized for us, different ways to exercise, how the brain adapts and reinforces itself to exercise. But what do you do to go about this? What do you do to apply this to your everyday life, to your training, whatever it may be? Now, if you're not currently active at all, you need to think about where you stand. So there's something called the stages of change. Now, this has five stages, the pre-contemplative, contemplative, preparation, action, and maintenance stage. Now, the point of understanding these stages is to see, are you ready to get into it? Because being more physically active is important. And we all know this, but not everyone does it. And it's not because they don't get it. It's because are you really ready to start? It starts with the behavior first before it becomes something physical. Now, with the pre-contemplative stage, it's typically a person not ready to change. They may not even be aware there's a need to change. If you use exercise, they might not notice that they've gained about 20, 30 pounds in the last year or two. And they may not even be thinking, I need to lose weight. So even if they are privy to it, they might think, I don't care enough. So this is the pre-contemplative stage. There's really no intent to change. Now, the contemplative stage means, okay, I've thought about it. I know there's a change that needs to happen, but I'm not going to do it yet. I'm not ready. Whether you think you don't have the resources, the time, or the capability to do it. Now, the next stage is the preparation. Preparation means I know I need to change. I'm ready to change but let me find out what is needed to do this. What do I need to do if I need to contact a trainer, consult with a nutritionist, uh, go to a gym for a, an experience to see how it feels, whatever it may be, you're taking steps to finally change. Now, the next one is the actual change, the action. So that means you've done the new behavior, whether it be eating better, working out consistently, working out period, but it's been less than six months, meaning you haven't really solidified the change. Most people say it takes 21 days to form a habit and change a behavior. There's literally no finite number. That number can be many of numbers. It could be 21 days, two months, three years, five years. It, it, it's just dependent on the person and how much they're willing to change and how they take to the new behavior. Now, after six months of consistent action is the maintenance stage. It means you sustain this new behavior. You've been working out consistently. You've been eating well. You've been seeing your trainer on time. You've not missing too many sessions. Now, this is important to think. Missing sessions or not working out every single time you think you are, it happens. People think about relapse like in a drug addiction. It can happen with these in the stage of change with fitness as well. You may not go every single day. 
and you need to format what days you need to go. That's why training is important. That way it's not just you playing it by ear and just thinking, I'm going to go when I want to. And if you miss a day, you think you fail versus knowing that, hey, I'm allowed to get this much volume, this much days. And as long as I can fit those into my week, I made the goal. So when you're at this point, it's sustaining the new behavior. Now, can you backslide? Sure. Now, understand this is important because you don't want to beat yourself up. There's going to be vacations. There's going to be parties. There's going to be times you just don't feel like it. Understand that and put that into your mindset and your, your programming so you know what you can have room to have leeway on and what you need to buckle down for. Now, we've talked about physical activity and exercise, and a lot of things I've been going over have been mostly exercise-based. But what about physical activity? Now, if you've never heard of NEAT or non-exercise activity thermogenesis, you need to check this out. Because what happens here is I call it sneaking or stealing physical activity. With NEAT, you want to be mindful of what you're doing day to day. This could be things simply as parking a little bit further from wherever you're going to the building. Because now you're getting more steps to get to the door versus parking close as possible. Even though this may not seem like much, that's why it's called non-exercise. These are things you can accumulate because think about it. An exercise workout may last 30 minutes to an hour and a half, maybe even two hours max. That's only a small percentage of your day. But we're always going other than sleep, right? So why not put these extra movements into your day? Take the steps instead of the elevator. Doing yard work, doing laundry, all these different things that aren't actual exercise add up. Now, will it be the difference between getting your dream body or dream goal? Maybe. It won't be extensive, but think about when we talked about volume. It all accumulates. So if you run two to three miles every other day, the extra steps, the extra walking is going to play into your calorie expenditure and your overall health. So don't forget about your neat. Now, one of the biggest things to think about, too, with getting in shape or getting stronger, exercising, working out, is confidence. Confidence or self-esteem is something that's a big part of people's mental health issues. People worry about how they look, how competent they are at a skill, a task. And these can play over to other things. If you gain extra weight, you may not feel good about yourself health-wise, but this carry over to other things because you think about your health going down, it's going to affect your income. Your income affects your social standpoint. Your social standpoint affects your overall well-being and life satisfaction. And things just come full circle. You can see how this is an all-encompassing issue. Now, going back to confidence, how you feel about yourself, this general exercise of getting on a schedule, a routine, and accomplishing that as a goal. Okay, I'm going to work out two days a week, one hour each time. You accomplish that, boom, you move on. We talk about dopamine. That often gets thrown out when we talk about exercise as a pleasure reward response, but actually it's the motivating response. What's happening is when you achieve that goal of doing your two sessions a week for one hour, your brain says reinforce that. That behavior led to a better outcome. Do it again. But sometimes the problem is people go too hard. That's why I say start small because you say, I'm going to work out five, six days a week. And I always tell people, don't do that. Say, why not? I want to get my goal. True. You want to accomplish your goal, but be realistic because if you do five, six days a week off the start and you're not really ready for it, now what happens to the brain is it goes, you set the bar up here, then you only land right here. The response says, wait, this is not where we want to be. Then the next day, still there. Maybe you'll hit it one time. It's like, okay, we got it. But it's, it's going to get reinforced that you're not really being consistent with this behavior. And the brain's going to be wired to say this behavior may not be needed. And the brain obviously is one side of it. But then you just might lose confidence because you're not being successful in your attempt to achieve your goal. This is why we want to set goals that are achievable, but also are tough enough. So you don't want to go the opposite direction and say, I'm going to do 15 minutes every week. Granted, it's something. 
but 15 minutes every week physically is not going to do much for your body to adapt and change. And from a confidence standpoint, your brain is like, okay, this is not very challenging. Why should we care? Your brain values things that challenge it, but not too much to the point where it can't overcome. So you have to find that balance. Your brain needs to be reinforced with things that make it feel like it needs to go, but not to the point where it can't be done. You have to find that happy medium for you. Also with body composition, we can look at that because people want to like what they look at in the mirror. It's not even being vain. We want to look good, whether it's about attracting a mate, whether it's about just feeling good internally, whether it's about being right for your friends and family. Whatever you may take into account is up to you, but if it matters, it matters. So we need to think about that. And once we get in better physical fitness, we can feel better about ourselves. Does this mean it solves all of your problems? No, but you can look at it as, okay, I've achieved some sort of a goal from a accomplishment standpoint, but I also like how I look and it reinforces the cycle, something called self-efficacy. We talk about confidence. That's our overall motivation and good feeling about what we want to do. But self-efficacy is the actual response of we feel good on our abilities. And the better you feel good about an ability, the more likely you're going to want to do it. The more you're going to want to do it, the better you get and the cycle keeps going. This is why a lot of people fall out of exercise as well. They may be motivated, they may be a little confident, but the minute they don't think they're good at something, it reinforces that, why should I keep trying? That's what goes back to that response with the dopamine. You want to be reinforced in a way that you need to keep trying. And if you feel like a failure, sadly, it affects us and there's nothing wrong with that. But you got to realize what you're capable of, find that baseline and build upon it. Now, one thing I don't think gets looked at enough when it comes to fitness and exercise is actual performance. Me personally, I like it when I can lift more weight. I'm a former athlete. I ran track and played football and baseball. So it was all about speed, strength, power, generating force. And these things we can measure. So I could jump higher, jump further, lift more weight. I felt more confident in myself as well. Now, you can do the same thing with your goals. Now, you may not necessarily be trying to be elite level and lift the whole gym or run 50 miles. But you can set these goals and say, hey, instead of just a weight loss goal or aesthetic goal, I want to be able to run a mile. Just period. Just run a mile because some people can't. They have to stop and walk and that's fine. But you can build up to you can run a consistent mile performance goal. You accomplish it. Now you set it to a certain time now. OK, I want to run it in less than 10 minutes. Boom, you hit 10 minutes. Next step, I want to run in seven minutes. Now you get to the point where you reach a level that you've never been to before, but you gradually built up to it and it was reinforcing a way that you kept going. Will it be a linear process? Probably not. It'll probably be some ups, downs. It's a cumulative effort, meaning Every training session matters. I tell people to look at training sessions almost like an accumulation of everything. If you have a 12-week program from beginning to end, every day, instead of looking at I got 12 weeks, look at it as I have, let's say you do three sessions a week, 36 sessions. So instead of 12 weeks, I have 36 sessions. Now, every session I hit is one step closer to that 36. Any session you miss, you got to remember, okay, I missed a session, but now I only have 24. Now I only have 19. So take it like that, because now instead of just saying the time reinforcement or fixed interval reinforcement is saying that I have a variable ratio, meaning it's a total amount towards the whole goal to reinforce you. This is not ideal always, but it gives you flexibility because you may not always have a linear, consistent schedule to follow. So thinking it from this mindset can maybe help you adjust to the ever changing things of life that we go through. Now, the last thing I want to look at about exercise and how it can be therapeutic or helpful in mental health is groups. When you look at workout groups, whether it be CrossFit, Zumba, there's so many different types. You got to look at it from a social standpoint. As humans, we evolved as social creatures. 
We were hunters and gatherers of tribes, about 50 to 100 people. And that's how our brains were wired for communication and socialization. That's why solitary confinement is considered such a harsh punishment. Now, when we work in groups, it does numerous things. One, it gives us a community camaraderie. If you don't know something or you need help, there could be someone there to guide you. Also, you can look at someone that may be a little further along and you can aspire to be them because this gives us a healthy goal. Now, if you're in a group with super advanced people, that may not be the best. But if they're close to your level, it gives you a safe and healthy way to look at where you want to be. And then it reinforces that it can be achieved because if they did it, why not you? Also, groups give you a level of competition. I'm not opposed to competition. Like I said, I'm a former athlete. So being able to challenge yourself is great. But having other people to challenge you as well is even better. Because now it pushes you to limits that you probably wouldn't have done by yourself. Even the most motivated person rises when they're faced with competition. So this is something good to have. But one thing I do want to say when it comes to training and groups and fitness, it's not all about the competition or pushing each other. It actually gives you a social group that can be taken outside of the gym. Think about how many friendships, relationships have come from people training together. This helps you be more social because a lot of times, especially as adults, it's hard to meet new people. So you already have a shared interest. You both like to work out and then you get to know each other better, you go through hard times together, you push each other and it builds genuine friendship. So working out in groups definitely can be helpful. Now, I'd like to thank you for checking out this episode for exercise and mental health. If you have any more questions, feel free to ask me in the comments below. And also, if you want to get into shape and whatever that may mean to you, I can suggest numerous programs such as the Daru Strong Body Armor Program is probably one of the best for beginners because you only need yourself. You don't need any equipment. It can be scaled down to someone who's just beginning all the way up to someone who's elite athlete. So check that out. Also, if you have any questions on how to do more drills like Mind Body One does, check down the links below to check out our site and Instagram pages so you too can get your mind right. And thank you for letting me break it down.